This episode is brought to you by First Response, a trusted leader in pregnancy for every step in the journey from conception planning to postnatal nutrition. Visit www.firstresponse.com for more information about First Response products to support your patients on their conception journey. This episode is also brought to you by Dr. Bill. Dr. Bill is an easy-to-use mobile and web solution that truly simplifies the way you do medical billing. Join over 1,500 physicians already using our billing software to save time, boost productivity, and earn more. Visit drbill.ca. That's dr-bill.ca for more information. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Deputy Editor for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today I'm speaking with one of the authors of a research article that looked at cancer incidence trends from 1971 to 2015 in Canada. The article is published in CMAJ. Epidemiologist Leah Smith is joining me to unpack this very comprehensive research. Leah is Senior Manager of Surveillance at the Canadian Cancer Society. I've reached her in St. John's, Newfoundland. Hi, Leah. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for having me. There's a lot of information in this research article. Can you start by giving us an overview of what you were trying to do with this research? Absolutely. So leading up to this study, we knew a lot about the trends in cancer incidence over time in Canada for all ages combined. What this paper does is really dig deeper into those trends by exploring if they are different for different age groups. So we looked specifically at trends in seven different adult age groups. Uh, we looked at Canadians who were diagnosed with cancer in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And for each of these age groups, we looked at the incidence of 16 different cancer types by sex to see if and how those incidence rates have changed between 1971 and 2015. So to assess trends um, in incidence over time, we didn't just plot the rates in each year. What we did was called a joint point analysis. And this analysis helps reveal um, the periods of time during which there were statistically significant increases or decreases um, and the magnitude of those increases or decreases. And of course, it also reveals if rates were stable over those times. So as you mentioned, a lot of in, uh, information generated through all of these different iterations. And there was actually a whole other piece of the study as well. So for those interested, we also looked at um, trends over time by birth cohort. Um, and birth cohort is based on the year during which someone was born rather than the age that they are. So a slightly different take on looking at the trends by specific age groups. So for the purposes of today, I think I'll just focus on talking about the results by age group, but certainly for anybody interested in, in looking at our results by birth cohort, I'd encourage you to do that as well. Why did you choose the 16 particular cancers that you chose? In general, the 16 cancers that we chose were really the most commonly diagnosed cancers in Canada. One that we didn't look at was non-melanoma skin cancer, but then we looked at the other really 16 most commonly diagnosed cancers in this country. Why was there a need for this kind of trend analysis? What was the gap that you were trying to fill with this research? So I think it goes without saying that it's incredibly important to monitor trends in cancer over time. It really helps us show uh, where progress is being made, where more 
needs to be done and where we need to keep the momentum going. So as I mentioned before, in Canada, there is regular reporting on trends in cancer incidents over time for all ages combined. And this is done through the Canadian Cancer Statistics publication, which is a publication produced through a partnership between the Canadian Cancer Society, Statistics Canada, and the Public Health Agency of Canada. And it's also a publication that the primary author of this study, Dr. Darren Brenner, and I are also involved in. The main limitation of analyzing trends for all ages combined is that these trends will naturally be largely driven by uh, what's happening in the age groups where cancer is most commonly diagnosed. So what it means is it can really mask changes that are happening in other age groups. So by looking at individual age groups, we can see if there's anything concerning happening there. Um, what it also allows us to do is really better monitor the impact of cancer control efforts. So you can imagine, for example, if we see decreases in incidence for specific age groups where screening is available, and maybe we don't see those decreases in other age groups, what that can be is an early marker of the success of the, the screening program. Or if, for example, we're seeing decreases in young age groups for cancers where we're not seeing the decreases in older age groups, it could point to the success of primary prevention efforts that are occurring in the younger age groups before enough time has passed for us to also see those benefits in older age groups. Um, so certainly a lot of reasons for us to, to dig deeper into those data and really understand what's happening with different populations in Canada. And where did you find the data for this study? The data from this study came from two nationally representative cancer registries. So for data between 1971 to 1991, we used the National Cancer Incidence Reporting System, the NCIRS. Um, and for data between 1992 and 2015, we used the Canadian Cancer Registry. And the Canadian Cancer Registry evolved out of the NCIRS, which is why there's that switch there in, in 1992. And the Canadian Cancer Registry is currently Canada's national cancer registry. So this is a database that's maintained by Statistics Canada. It's made up of data that is sent to Statistics Canada by the provincial and territorial cancer registries. Um, and it's considered one of the highest quality national population-based cancer registry systems in the world. So definitely the database we want to be using for this type of study. So if I was diagnosed with cancer, how would I get into that database? You would be automatically uh, put into that database. So uh, essentially what happens is at, for example, the cancer center where you are diagnosed, that data would be inputted there. Then that data feeds into the provincial or territorial cancer registry. Um, and then the provincial or territorial cancer registry that you're in sends their data to Statistics Canada, which essentially collates all the data, brings it together, makes sure it's comparable from one province and territory to another um, to create this national data resource that we now have. Okay, so a really robust data set. Let's start with the overall findings of the study. What can you tell us about how cancer incidence has changed for these 16 cancers overall between 1971 and 2015? So in general, I think when we look at the rate of all cancers combined, uh, we see that the rates were generally higher in 2015 than they were in 1971. And this is true for all age groups in males and females, except 
the 80 to 89 age groups where rates were similar in 2015 to what they were in 1971, or they were even lower in 2015 than they were in, in 1971. And some of this increase I think is, is natural and likely due to improved reporting of cancers, improved detection of cancer since the early 1970s, um, but also, of course, reflects some natural increase in the cancer rate as well in some instances. So we can certainly look at the trends for between 1971 and 2015, but what's also interesting to do sometimes is look at just the most recent trend, because this really helps us understand what is happening now. And so when we look at what's happening now for all cancers combined, in males, we see that the cancer rate is currently decreasing for males 50 years of age and older, but it's increasing in males under the age of 50. Meanwhile, in females, we see that rates are actually increasing in all age groups except the 80 to 89 age group. So a lot more to unpack there. So looking just in men, what were some of the findings you think are worth highlighting? So for men, I think I'd like to focus on the three most commonly diagnosed cancers in males, which are prostate cancer, lung cancer, and colorectal cancer, because there's some interesting trends happening with each of those three cancers. So let's start with prostate cancer. Um, and I, you've probably known that there's been a lot of kind of ups and downs with, uh, with this cancer in particular, uh, especially in the 40 plus groups. So in all of the age groups over 40, there were really dramatic or there have been really dramatic inclines since the early 1970s, but rates are now declining in each of the age groups over 40. What's interesting is that the inclines seem to peak earlier in the older age groups than in the younger age groups, and the declines also started earlier in the later age groups than the earlier age groups. So they followed a similar pattern, but with different years. So for example, where the decline in the 80 to 89 age group started in 1993, the decline that we're now seeing in the 40 to 49 age group didn't start until 2011. And there were also some pretty notable peaks for many of the age groups in 1993. And then again, in 2007, uh, specifically in the 50 uh, 50 to 59 age group, the 60 to 69 age group, and 70 to 79 age groups. And this is likely largely reflecting um, changes in, in prostate-specific antigen testing, PSA testing, uh, changes in recommendations that came out um, around those times. So prostate cancer isn't, at least by what we know, isn't a very preventable cancer. So in general, these more dramatic swings that we've seen in prostate cancer over time um, have been largely attributed to changes in detection and diagnosis rather than actual changes in the risk of this cancer. So aside from prostate cancer, I think I'll talk about lung cancer next. Um, and lung cancer is the next most commonly diagnosed cancer in males. Um, and it's also considered one of the most preventable cancers in Canada. So fortunately, lung cancer incidence rates are decreasing in males of all age groups. And probably not surprisingly, this is likely largely reflecting the immense strides in tobacco control that we've made here in Canada over the last several decades. What's interesting is that the declines started earliest in the youngest age groups, but fortunately, we're now seeing that this de decrease is occurring um, even in males age 80 to 89 years old, and that's been occurring since about 2007. So with lung cancer and prostate cancer, I mentioned that we're currently seeing 
declines generally with those cancers, um, at least in recent years, which are, of course, signs of progress. The cancer I'd like to focus on next is colorectal cancer. And colorectal cancer shows a bit more of a distinction in trends between the different age groups. So in the older age groups, we are seeing declines in colorectal cancer, but there's a pretty clear split between what's happening in males over 50 and what's happening in males under 50. So actually in males under 50, rates of colorectal cancer have been increasing since around the late 1990s, early 2000s. And this is a trend that has been reported in Canada um, and elsewhere before. So what this study really does is show us that unfortunately, this increase in colorectal cancer incidence in males um, under 50 is continuing. That is deeply worrying. What are we looking at for women in terms of cancer trends? One of the most interesting findings is perhaps that um, the trend in colorectal cancer that we're seeing in males is very similar to the trend in colorectal cancer incidence that we're seeing in females. So that same age pattern where for females over the age of 50, we're seeing decreases and for females under the age of 50, we're seeing increases. So without a question, this is something we have to learn more about and, and keep our eye on. So some other interesting trends that are happening in females relate to um, breast cancer, which is the most commonly diagnosed cancer among females in Canada. So about one in eight Canadian women uh, is expected to be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. And what this study is showing is that breast cancer is another cancer where we're seeing an increase in younger populations. The increase in breast cancer is restricted to women in their 20s, um, but seems to have been happening since the late 1990s. So it's certainly a cause for concern. Meanwhile, um, current breast cancer rates are relatively stable among women aged 30 to 69, um, and rates are actually decreasing among women in their 80s. So this decrease that we're seeing among women in their 80s might actually be the result of less screening in that age group or those cancers otherwise getting picked up earlier because what we're seeing is actually a slight increase in the rate of breast cancer in females in their 70s. The next cancer in females is lung cancer because there's been especially some interesting more recent changes in lung cancer among women. So just for some context, when we look at all ages combined, we well, of course, lung cancer rates in males have been decreasing for quite some time, but lung cancer rates in females have only recently started to decrease in females. So this study shows us that, in fact, lung cancer rates have been declining in females under the age of 60 since the mid-90s. So while we're only seeing, you know, when we look at all ages combined, we're seeing a really recent decrease. When we look at the under 60 population, we see that those, those declines have been happening for, for uh, quite a bit longer. And so the, the recent decrease we're seeing for all ages combined is really driven by the decreases that we're seeing in women in their 60s and 80s. But interestingly, lung cancer rates are still increasing in women in their 70s. So the decrease that we're seeing in the younger age groups is certainly a good sign um, and hopefully a good indication that the declines will make their way to the older age groups in the years to come. The final cancer I thought might be worth highlighting with respect to females is cervical cancer. And cervical cancer is a cancer where we've seen a lot of progress. 
This study shows that this progress has uh, affected all age groups. So since the early 1970s, we've seen really amazing decreases in, in cervical cancer incidence in all age groups, reflecting the success of cervical cancer screening. And what's really exciting is that with the introduction of the HPV vaccine that happened about 10 or 15 years ago, we expect to see these rates continue to drop even more. And so we're likely to see that first in the younger age groups, um, but that should then impact the, the older age groups as time goes on as well. So what you're saying is you haven't seen a reduced incidence of cervical screening that can be attributed to HPV vaccination yet, but you expect to see that. What sort of lag time is there? Uh, the natural history for cervical cancer can be about 10 to 30 years. So we know that uh, girls in Canada just started to be vaccinated, um, certainly no earlier than 2006 when it was approved. And then the publicly funded programs came out in 2007. And those were for females in their early teens, typically aged 11 to 14-ish. So we don't expect to see the impact of um, HPV vaccination on cervical cancer incidence rates for maybe another 10 to 20 years, let's say. Um, but certainly there's been a lot of research to show that this vaccine has been effective in reducing um, genital warts and in reducing cervical precancers in these females. So certainly a lot of reason to believe that we'll be in the next uh, decade or so seeing that impact on cervical cancer incidence. Now, Reflecting on the details that you've talked to us about, what would you say are the most surprising or striking findings in your study? So I already mentioned the increase in young people that we're seeing for breast and colorectal cancer incidence. What I haven't mentioned yet is that we also observed increases in young people for pancreatic cancer, endometrial cancer, and kidney cancer. So what's particularly striking about these findings when we put them together is that those cancers are all related to excess body weight. So excess body weight is a risk factor for each of these five cancers. We know that excess weight is increasing in the population. In fact, a recent study that I and many of the other authors on this paper were involved in showed excess weight is expected to become the second leading cause of preventable cancer in Canada by 2040, so second only to tobacco. And the study we're talking about here today shows us more pointedly that rates of these excess weight-related cancers seem to already be starting to climb in these younger populations. And what this does is really highlight um, the urgent need for for us to better understand these trends and identify what measures we need to take to be able to address excess weight in the population. Okay, so zooming back out, looking at the study overall, what does a study like this tell us? How can we take a very thorough study like this one and apply it to day-to-day -day medical practice, care of patients, and such? That's a great question. Um, this is, of course, a population-based study, but I think what you're asking more is about you know, what can individuals do. And so I think one thing that this study does is highlight the importance of prevention. So we know that about four in 10 cancer cases can be prevented through healthy living and through policies that protect the health of Canadians. I've already talked about some of the progress that we've seen in lung cancer, which of course largely, largely, largely reflects the success of tobacco control in Canada. And we're actually also seeing that progress in other cancers that are related to tobacco as well, such as laryngeal cancer. 
So tobacco is by far the leading cause of preventable cancer in Canada. And so it's great to see this success. But what is disconcerting is there has also been research to show that smoking rates may actually be starting to climb in younger people. So this is suggesting that we may actually start to see an increase in lung cancer incidence in younger age groups in the coming years or decades. So what we really need to do is keep the pressure on governments to further advance tobacco policy. One of the most important things Canadians can do to reduce their cancer risk is to live smoke-free. But we really need governments to help us support um, Canadians in creating an environment that reduces access to tobacco products um, and also supports those in trying to quit in addressing this very, very serious addiction. Uh, so certainly not smoking is a major way in which people can reduce their risk of cancer. Um, so another cancer I haven't touched on yet is melanoma. And in general, we've seen some really dramatic increases in melanoma over the past few decades among older males and females in Canada. Among the younger age groups, we're, we are starting to see signs of progress. So we've actually seen decreases in melanoma um, in some age groups and sort of stabilized rates in other age groups. And the reason I'm bringing up melanoma is that it's also considered a, a relatively highly preventable cancer. Most melanoma cases are attributed to um, sun and UV. And so certainly practicing sun safety and reinforcing the importance of sun safety is another thing that um, healthcare pr practitioners can do and that individuals can do. Um, so I guess what I'm saying overall is that this study really helps show us where prevention is working and more, where more needs to be done. It also helps highlight some of the effects of screening. So I talked, for example, about cervical cancer screening. I also talked about the decreases in colorectal cancer uh, that we're seeing in the older age groups, which is likely in part attributable to colorectal cancer screening in Canada. Um, so really all of these results combined really help show us where we've been making progress, but hopefully are also motivating to show us that we can keep these trends going and we can even make them stronger. Are there any gaps in this study that you want to highlight? Sure. So one limitation of this study is at the time of the analyses, data were only available to 2015. And typically the data that are available are a few years behind the actual year, just because of the time it takes to bring these data together um, and, and analyze them, report on them, that kind of thing. But really what that does is show us that we need to continue to monitor these trends. So as with any surveillance study, one is typically not enough. We need to continue to do these analyses to continue to monitor where we're making progress and where more needs to be done. Another limitation of the study um, from a data perspective is that Quebec data were only available to 2010. And so what we did was impute Quebec data uh, for 2011 to 2015. We also ran a sensitivity analysis to see the impact of including uh, Quebec and not including Quebec. And what we found is that in general, the results were similar, but still something just to be aware of when we're when we're talking about Canadian level data. It's probably also worth noting that this type of study is really great for uncovering trends and for generating questions, um, but it doesn't help us answer the why. So future studies are certainly needed to explore, for example, why rates of colorectal, breast, pancreatic cancer, uh, endometrial cancer, and kidney cancer are increasing in young people. Uh, we need to know are these increases in incidence met with increases in 
mortality? Um, are the increases in fact attributable to excess weight? And if so, what can we do about it? Um, so certainly something that we need to continue to monitor and need to investigate more. So great that you've highlighted that tobacco smoking and being overweight and too much sun exposure are risk factors for certain cancers. What are the top 10 risk factors for cancers in Canada? So the top 10 modifiable risk factors um, is actually something we looked at in a, in a recent study that I mentioned a few of the co-authors and I were involved in um, that was released back in May called the Canadian Population Attributable Risk of Cancer Study or the COMPARE study. And what we found is that tobacco is by far the leading cause of preventable cancer in Canada. Um, and this is followed by physical inactivity, excess weight, low fruit, sun and UV exposure, HPV infection, low vegetables, alcohol, other infections, and sedentary behavior. So that's a bit of a lowdown of the top 10. And all it's really meant to represent is that, um, you know, really, there's a lot of things Canadians can do to reduce their risk of cancer. Um, certainly not smoking is a big one, being more physically active. So moving more, sitting less, getting vaccinated against HPV, practicing sun safety, eating diets high in fruits and vegetables, low in red and processed meat, monitoring alcohol consumption and minimizing alcohol consumption. There's really a lot of things individuals can do to reduce their risk of cancer. Well, Leah, this has been a really informative discussion and thank you for joining me today. Oh, no problem. It was my pleasure. I've been speaking with Leah Smith, Senior Manager of Surveillance at the Canadian Cancer Society. To read the research article she co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. Also, don't forget to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on SoundCloud or a podcast app and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating. I'm Dr. Kirsten Patrick, Deputy Editor for CMAJ. Thank you for listening. <laughs>